God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in each of our hearts be acceptable to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today is our final sermon in the series where we've been exploring the lives of three Marys from Scripture and their vital role in our salvation history, which is God's ongoing liberating work, setting free all creation from anything that would ever have any living thing in bondage. First, we met Miriam in the Old Testament scriptures, after whom all the other Marys in the Bible are named. She was prophet, co-leader of the Exodus with her brothers Moses and Aaron, together through whom God saved the Israelites from Egyptian slavery, our very faith ancestors. And last week we spent time with Mary, the mother of Jesus, God's chosen, the one to bear God's very self into the world through the person of Jesus and his ministry of loving and serving through his death and his resurrection. And today we meet a third Mary called Magdalene. We'll explore what the scriptures tell us about Mary Magdalene and what scholars have studied, including some commentators on a sacred text called the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, which is one of the Gnostic Gospels along with the Gospel of Thomas you may have heard of, which were discovered um, and they existed from the 2nd and 3rd centuries, all of these other Gospels that did not make it into our Bible. And then we'll consider Mary Magdalene's life of faith and how that can and does inform our own journey as disciples today. Mary Magdalene's name comes from the town that is likely her birthplace, Magdala, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee in Israel. She likely encountered the roving Rabbi Jesus there, or in the region of Galilee. She heard his teachings and heard something wise and new, and something healing and hopeful, both for herself and her people who were desperately seeking freedom from Roman occupation. Besides Mary, Jesus' mother, Mary of Magdalene is the only woman mentioned in all four Gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in all but one instance, her name appears first in any list of other women, implying her greater importance or role that she's playing at that moment. Mary of Magdala's character has been misinterpreted and her identity confused or conflated with other women in the New Testament for a very long time. Some assume her to be the same Mary as the sister of Martha and Lazarus of Bethany, Jesus' closest friends. Some believe Magdalene to be the unnamed woman in Luke's gospel that was labeled a sinner who showed up at dinner at the house of Simon the Pharisee where Jesus was a guest. She showed up and washed Jesus' feet with her tears and then anointed them with her jar of oil. For centuries, this woman's sin has been labeled by commentators to be the sin of prostitution. That might be familiar to many of you, Mary Magdalene, as a woman of ill repute. In both the Gospel of Luke and Mark, 
Magdalene is named as being healed by Jesus of not one or two or three, but seven demons. Again, assumed by commentators of the Bible to represent the seven deadly sins, of which lust is one of them, further perpetuating perhaps that most well-known fallacy, which we will see in a moment, about Mary Magdalene, that she was a whore. And we see this depiction of her in art across the centuries. She's often portrayed in suggestive clothing or postures or wearing no clothing at all. The roots of this reputation of Magdalene stem from the year 591 when Pope Gregory I preached a homily on that passage in Luke about the sinner, the woman that wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. He declared Mary of Magdalene to be this same unnamed woman. He talked about the seven devils that lived with inside, inside of her, signifying for sure all seven vices that she surely had. And Pope Gregory preached that day, changing the reputation of Mary of Magdala in an instant. He said, It is clear, brothers, that the woman previously used the oil to perfume her flesh in forbidden acts. And because this idea of Mary as being a prostitute has so primary in the imaginations of Christians for so long, I'd like to delve a little deeper, so bear with me, those of you who are not so detailed or history-oriented. The Greek word for sinner in that passage about the unnamed sinner woman that Pope Gregory referenced does not imply whore or prostitute. From the Jewish perspective, it could mean simply one who broke Jewish law or one who did not pay their taxes. The Greek word for harlot, used later on in Luke's Gospel, is not this word for the weeping woman at Jesus' feet. In fact, in two commentators together, Tresimer and Canon are their names, they go on to say that there is no direct reference to this sinful woman and to Mary Magdalene anywhere in all four of our Gospels. While Gregory and others use this as evidence of the depth of Mary's sinful depravity, that she had seven demons and was surely this sinner, let's consider another interpretation about the number seven and what that might mean. Some of you are familiar with the term uh, chakra, or the idea that our bodies have energy centers. If you've ever experienced healing touch, or had energy work like acupuncture or done yoga, or maybe you are a healer, a practitioner, then that word chakra is familiar to you. Today there's a, a very prevalent awareness that our bodies have seven centers of energy, and they can get blocked up and prevent healing in us. And since ancient times, spiritual science has understood us to have these energy centers. And this can be traced back to India and to the cultures of Babylon, Assyria, and to Egypt. Babylon, Assyria, and Egypt, 
all cultures that deeply influenced the Hebrew people, the Israelites. The Israelites were in captivity under all three of these nations at one time. So their teachings and spirituality entered the traditions of the Hebrews. In the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, there are over 300 uses of the word seven, as well as including in the New Testament. And many of those uses speak of time or the number of offspring, but in many instances, the number seven is used in a symbolic way about healings and victories performed by God for the sake of God's human family. The number seven is clearly very important. And so we pay attention to when the scriptures tell us that Jesus freed Mary Magdalene from seven demons that possessed her. Another way to say that is she was freed from those aspects that can cloud our vision and our energy in any one of those seven areas of our bodies. So with her healing, presumably she is no longer possessed by those so-called seven deadly sins that Pope Gregory said that she possessed. Pride and lust, envy, anger, covetousness, gluttony, and sloth. And in her healing, what would then have taken their place would be the corresponding seven virtues. Humility, brotherly and sisterly love, knowledge, self-control, poverty, steadfastness, and love for all of life. And imagine being healed of those seven and now having these seven virtues. With the most important virtue on top of those seven, perhaps being the fact that because she suffered so greatly, she has the virtue of great compassion for anyone else who ever suffers with any affliction. And if we view Mary Magdalene in this way, as one who was healed so greatly and so purified, this makes her the most thoroughly sanctified person mentioned in all of the New Testament. And the theologians Thiessen and Canon invite us to imagine Mary being completely cleansed of all prejudice, old grudges, fogs of illusion, any hereditary health obstacles, and all desires. And once healed, Mary can truly see the spiritual truth at work in all things. She can also see the barbarity, the cruelty in the world, as well as the absolute beauty that passes our understanding found in the person and teachings of Jesus Christ. In modern terms, her heart and energy centers are completely open. So thinking about Pope Gregory's proclamation in 591 that led to the defaming of Mary Magdalene's name, what may have led to that? I think of us as humans and why we scapegoat anyone. Whenever we humans do scapegoat, isn't it because we don't like what the other person is doing? Perhaps because they are up to something countercultural, something that serves as a mirror for our own lives or to the ways that we live that we fear we may have to give up 
even if it's harmful behavior to ourselves or others. Perhaps we scapegoat to diminish someone who speaks truth to power, especially when that power is ours, and we fear we may lose it, or we may not get as much as we think we deserve or need in order to survive. Mary Magdalene was a mirror for some who did not want to see themselves or the truths that she represented, the truths of God, of Christ. Like Rabbi Jesus, whom she followed, Mary Magdalene was countercultural in every which way. First, she was a woman, second class, often oppressed and voiceless in her culture, especially at that time, and vulnerable. She defied convention. She was a woman who left home to follow this rabbi with other male disciples. And the Gospels tell us she had money. They don't tell us she had a spouse. She maybe was a widow, but to be a woman, a single woman without male support, was deadly at that time. So she had money, and we're told that she and other women were responsible for sustaining Jesus and all the other disciples on their ministry, feeding them, making sure they had their things provided for. So Mary sacrificially gave away money that served to also protect her in that culture. Mary was the disciple who was there at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. She was there when she first heard Jesus teach about how there was blessing in not having the things of the world, in not chasing after wealth or status, that the real blessing came when we bless others with forgiveness, when we share what we have, when we see God the sacred in all people, in all living things. When she first witnessed Jesus' healings, she knew he could do that for her too little knowing that she would go on to serve as a healer for many. And just as Mary was there at the very beginning, she was one of the only of Jesus' disciples who stayed with him to the very end. She was there, the Gospels tell us, at the foot of the cross at his crucifixion, bearing witness to everything. And it was Mary Magdalene who stayed with Jesus and went all the way to the tomb, where soldiers had placed his dead body. And she went there the next day by herself with her jar of oil used to anoint dead bodies. And she found there in the tomb nothing. And this caused her to weep in her grief even more. On top of everything else, someone had stolen the body of her dear friend and teacher. And as she's there with her jar of oil weeping at the empty tomb, she hears, why are you weeping? And she looks up to see whom she thought was the gardener, a servant. And then the risen Jesus Christ looked at her and said, Mary. And then Mary's eyes were open, and she saw. And she said, Rabbi, with tears of joy and amazement, Relief, disbelief, and gratitude all at the same time. 
The risen Christ said to Mary, Go and tell the others that you have seen me and that I'm going to my God and your God. I have called you by name, Mary. I have ordained you to go and proclaim, to preach the good news. Mary Magdalene, a woman, a female disciple, possessed gifts of depth and insight and understanding. She had a unique relationship with Jesus. This is the disciple whom Jesus trusted with this role of being the first witness of the resurrection. Perhaps because he knew her and knew that she would understand in a way that she'd be able to convey this mystery to others and help them believe too. So she became not only apostle to the apostles, the first apostle, the one sent by Christ to the others, to the others that Christ would eventually send out into all the world to go and tell the good news and to heal everyone with loving forgiveness. It was St. Augustine back, way back in the 4th century, a theologian, a bishop of Hippo in North Africa, known as perhaps one of the most important uh, church fathers to our Western faith. It was St. Augustine who first named Mary Magdalene Apostle to Apostles. Quite a contrast to Pope Gregory's declaration of Mary Magdalene as a prostitute 160 years after Augustine's death. And then fast forward, not so fast, to the year 1969, almost 1,400 years later, when the Catholic Church finally officially repealed Pope Gregory's labeling of Mary as a whore thereby admitting the error. So that's a little picture of Mary Magdalene. And then as always, we get to ask, so what? What does this mean for us today? Today, Pentecost is the day we acknowledge that the Easter season has officially come to an end as we celebrate the giving of the promised Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of John, in the passages immediately following our Gospel reading today, the authors of John's version of Pentecost happen shortly after Mary Magdalene has told the good news that she has seen the risen Lord. Later that night, Jesus appears to them all behind closed doors in that upper room in Jerusalem. And the first thing he says to them is, Peace be with you. Many of them had not yet seen him, and they're in awe. He says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you out into the world. And then he breathed on them the gift of the Holy Spirit, and all rejoiced and believed. Friends, during Easter, these past 50 days, we celebrate the love we've been given by God, through the living, resurrected Christ. And the day of Pentecost today officially invites us to put that love into action as disciples, as we too are apostles who bear God's Holy Spirit that empowers us to go out and preach and heal. And Mary Magdalene serves as just one of our teachers and guides on this journey. 
I invite you to take your bulletin before you to the cover together as we gaze at this work of art. This is a painting of Mary Magdalene found in a monastery I visited called Holy Cross. I had a powerful encounter with Mary Magdalene there on a silent retreat, forever changing me in my understanding of what it means to be a disciple. So let's look together and see what we notice. This painting to me is a combination of Easter and Pentecost, all in one moment. Mary stands before the empty tomb where she had expected to find the dead body of her dear friend Jesus. She's holding the jar of oil for his anointing. And as we read, she discovers no body, only emptiness, until Christ appears, changing everything about her world. Notice behind her off to the right the shape of the tomb entrance. It's the very shape of Mary Magdalene, symbolizing for us that to experience the risen Christ is to be liberated from anything that is dead or dying in our own lives. It's a radical instant invitation to come out of our own tombs of brokenness or dying where we need healing to come into the light of Christ. Just as in our baptism, when those living waters give us new clothing, the clothing of Christ, Mary gets new clothing this day. She's transformed. She is now robed in Christ's resurrection white clothing. On Pentecost, friends, Jesus asks us to put on his cloak of light, to wear it as we too take our jars of oil, as Mary does. As we take our jars and go out into the world, not for the dead, but our jars are filled with the oil of joy, as the prophet Isaiah says. For we are called and sent to bring healing love to all we meet, remembering the ministry of Mary of Magdala, remembering the ministry of Jesus our Savior, as we go out in his name, in her example, bringing new life into the world and love for all. Friends, may this be good news for us today. In Jesus' name, amen.
seated. And as we continue in our worship and receive our offering, we remember every good gift we have comes from God who labors for us that we might be able to give good gifts to others. Let us receive our offering. <laughs> 